Kuznetsov kicks it back to Carlson. John Carlson for Justin oh, Williams. Goal. Has a lane. In, shoot, hands it in, rebound, score! Marcus Johansson, the series winner! And the Washington Capitals take it in six! Johansson tied the game in the third and then scored. Wow. So, Friday, or maybe it's Thursday, I don't know, sometime late last week, I got air conditioning put into my house. Might not seem like a big deal to anyone out there, but I hate the heat. I hate the summer. I hate hot weather. And some for some reason, I built a house in 2010. The first lady and I built a house. And I got talked out of getting air conditioning then when we built the house. Oh, it's going to cost so much more money if we let the builders do it. We'll just get it put in after the fact. They're going to get it all ready for air conditioning and yada, yada, yada. So then, of course, we don't do it the first year because we get... The house isn't really ready until we moved in on July 4th. And I think originally we thought we'd move in around May. So by then in Buffalo, it's like, well, we're not going to spend that money right now. We've got to buy all this other stuff. We're just moving into the house. So we can kind of get by with a window unit, you know, not worry about it. And then, I don't know, get unhealthy here. Just It just kept getting pushed off and, and pushed back and it's getting more and more miserable about it every year. And finally, I said, with Paula, I can't lock myself in bedrooms this year to be in the air conditioning. We got to do it. And I want to give a shout out and a plug uh, to my friend Jeff Copa. If you're in Buffalo, uh, Warm and Fuzzy is the name of the joint. And Anthony was the, the the kid who uh, who did it, who came and, and put it in for me, Warm and Fuzzy Heating and Cooling. Uh, it's www.warm-n-fuzzy.com. And uh, ask for Jeff, uh, and he'll help you out. Great guys. I text Jeff. I know Jeff for a long time, and I said, hey, do I tip these these guys that are, are putting it in? And, and Jeff was like, you know, sometimes we might slip, you know, they get slipped to 20 or whatever, and I didn't have any cash, so I was like, oh, I'll buy these guys lunch, so I bought the guys Chinese food, which they probably would have rather had the cash, but I didn't have any, or a car at the time, and I had Paula and Colston, and, uh, but they did a great job, so I wanted to mention that right off the top, uh, warm and fuzzy, heating and cooling, if you're in Buffalo, the Buffalo area, and are going to make the leap, and now I kind of sneaky want it to be 90 just one day, so I can have it. And then I kind of wanted to go back to the 60s because that's the weather I prefer, but I don't know. Anyway, uh, it's just me today uh, only because I want to get this up now. I did an interview with Chris Burke yesterday afternoon, Monday afternoon, and we talked all about the draft. And that interview is not going to be good, really, if we wait till Thursday when Don and I usually record. So 
as soon as I did the second interview, which I'll tell you about in a second, today, I said, let me just get this up tonight because that Chris Burke interview is, there's a lot of good information for people who love the draft, but they're not going to want to hear it on Friday. It will be dated. Uh, so I'm just jumping on, doing a quick intro, uh, and then we'll get to the interviews. Uh, the second interview, or the first interview, the one you hear first as soon as I'm done talking here, is a first timer, a guy I've wanted a long time. And I tell the story at the top of the interview, so I won't repeat it, but Dan Wetzel could have easily been the very first person to ever appear on this podcast. Uh, and instead, he's making his first appearance in Season 7, Episode 10. Uh, and there's a story behind that, and we talk about it right off the top. I've wanted to have Dan on for a long time. If you like reading a gamer, you know, a reporter goes to a game, and when it ends, he writes it. If you still like that, and I guess that's dying to some degree, but if if you still like that, I don't think anyone in the world does it as good as Dan. And especially, he wrote, not this last Super Bowl, the Patriots won, but the one two ago, so that's 49 maybe, Super Bowl 49. His gamer was one of the best columns ever posted on the internet. It's about Tom Brady, kind of, and uh, kind of starts his lead is about Tom Brady sitting in front of his locker, and uh, oh, it's, it's great. Uh, but I've wanted to have Dan for a long time, and I reached out to my friend Jeff Passan, who was the first uh, guest ever on this show, who obviously works with Dan at Yahoo. And I don't like asking for favors. I do it very, very rarely. And I mean, that's why, you know, Marv Albert's never been on this show. Because I just don't feel right about asking Kenny Albert to help me, even though I, I kind of know in the back of my mind he would, you know. But I just don't feel right about it because I feel like he's already doing me a favor being on the show, you know. So I'm going to ask him another one. I don't know. It's just, it's embarrassing. I guess it's a a flaw for me. I don't like asking people. Uh, I got over it, obviously, to ask people to be on this show. But beyond that, I don't feel like I'm in a spot to ask him for anything else. But, you know, Jeff is a guy who's been with us since the very first show. And someone that I can text occasionally. And uh, someone who I, I felt, I guess, a level of comfort with reaching out. And I did. And um, and Jeff Jeff hooked it up, and Dan's great, and we do a, a long interview. It's really fun. We go all over. I, I wasn't at my best. Uh, <laughs> I think I could have done better, um, but uh, you'll enjoy it, and we'll get to it in one second. So this is what we got: season seven, episode ten. Like I said, we're gonna put it up Tuesday, April twenty fifth, two thousand seventeen. Uh, Dan Wetzel and Chris Burke are on the podcast today. I'll do a Cubs Tom Verducci book update in between, and I'll come back to give some plugs and end the show with one last thing. But with that said, I don't think there's any reason to uh, talk any longer, and uh, we'll take a break and come back with Dan Wetzel of Yahoo Sports.
right, our next guest today is from Norwell, Massachusetts, and is a graduate of the University of Massachusetts Amherst, and he is the lead sports columnist at Yahoo Sports. He's making his first appearance on the podcast today. A warm sportscaster's welcome to Dan Wetzel. How's it going, Dan? Going well. I like the fight song. Yeah, fight songs are fun. I had to, I had to Google to make sure that the hit the Minutemen were actually from the Amherst campus. Should Is that have, the UMass fight song? Yeah, that's the UMass fight song. That was it. That was for you. Really? Yeah. We try to bring all our guests into their fight songs. I had no idea. Yeah. Get not you. a real famous fight song. I, did. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's not exactly Hail to the Chief or whatever that uh, Chris Burke. No. Yeah, Chris Burke is also on the show. He went to Michigan. It's not exactly Hail to the Chief, but oh. cool nonetheless. Or Hail to the Victor. Or Hail to the Victor. Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, no, I had literally no idea. You know how close you were to like this being your 14th appearance? You probably don't even know this story. So before we were even a podcast, we were... I read that Christmas, Death to the BCS. I think I just got it as a gift or whatever. And then the idea for the podcast came, and I said, well, I just read this book. Why don't we reach out? Maybe they're still promoting, and we get lucky, and one of the, there's three authors here. Maybe one of them will be the first guest. So I think I found, uh, found the uh, publisher and sent an email and made it sound like the second coming of uh, NPR was on the other end of the email, and uh, I remember she sent out, like, she CC'd me later on the correspondence, and she sent out an email to the three authors saying, like, I don't know, anyone? <laughs> like, kind of like, is anyone want to do this? And uh, Jeff Passon said yes, and he was the first guest, and he's been on, like, 14 times now. So you were that that close to, I guess, being He's been there. on 14 times? Something like that. I mean, it's been six years. Subjected your audience to 14 Jeff Passon interviews? <laughs> He's our baseball guy. Is everything still going? He's kind of our main baseball guy. So, you know, you do about two baseball spots a year. You know, you got about 11 months. Every once in a while, yeah, you, get a, right. you get a, you get a, a different... a terrifyingly intelligent person. That's, that's the thing. Um, I think they counted up at one point. We, we definitely... Jeff just jumped it on that because we would have done it. At, at one point, they they said I had done 285 interviews. Woo, for that book alone? Wow. Just me. Wow. Yeah. yeah. That's to the BCS because, you know, college football, you know, your your markets are everywhere. Right. The whole so, south, the west. Yeah. yeah the little the, towns in the Midwest right, and right. the south. And so it's like, you know, if some guy in Woodward, Oklahoma wants to have you on, you go on Woodward, Oklahoma, or, you know. Right. Uh, and 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 really, anybody who wants to talk to uh, to you about a book you wrote, you know. I mean, we're, I've never, I, I don't know if I've ever turned down an interview ever with anybody, you know, college state. I mean, I, you know, but just you know, like that's it's not just like, well, I'll do it to do a favor for this guy. Or it's like, no, that's the market, right? Yeah, well, sell some books in Woodward, Oklahoma, or you know, little. So college stations, whatever. So we never turned anything down. Obviously, trying to sell a book, and and anybody that would even want to talk to you about it, it's kind of, um, it's nice they would even consider you. But uh, man, there was a lot of. I mean, there was a lot of radio. That was a lot of podcasts and radio because you just 
eventually you just all day you talk in the same conversation over and over and you're like did i already make this point right <laughs> well like, like these people are gonna think i'm an idiot because i just repeated the same story yeah and was that the last interview i think it's jeff perlman who has a, a really cool video on youtube where he kind of time-lapse tapes himself doing like the nine or ten phoners that they set up for you in a row yeah. You know, yeah. and he's kind of being goofy where, like, the first one, he's sitting at his table and he's all attentive. And then, like, by the ninth one, he's got a, he's upside down by his couch. And, yeah. And, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I think one thing we learned, and I don't know if it was with Death to the BCS or shortly after that, that one of the best way to get people on the show is going to be when they wrote a book. And so right away we created a book club, which was partially an idea we wanted to do, but partially just a... I don't know why to use the word scam because it's not a scam, but partially a way to get guests. I mean, like Frank DeFord was never going to come on the show, really, because probably right. he doesn't know what podcasts are. One, maybe he does now, but in 2011, he probably didn't. And uh, two, we just didn't have the profile. But when he was starting to sell his book, his memoir, um, that's a whole different story then. You know, we learned that and that's why we have a book club and that's why John Smoltz or Artie Lang probably is a really good example of a person who was, you know, never going to be on this show if he wasn't selling a book. So, uh, Artie's, uh, Artie's a friend of mine. He's awesome. Oh, he's the that best. Interview, yeah, that was amazing. That was a dream come true yeah, that you, day. You, though. There's no, Artie, Artie's, uh, yeah, I never listen to Artie's podcast. It's totally sporadic, but yeah, he used to have a sports radio show. I got to meet him. I met him and uh, became friends. I love Artie. Yeah, the DirecTV show, right? That was really good. Yeah. yeah, it was really good. I've been an Artie fan. I've been a Howard guy since 94, you know, so yeah. I've been a big, big Artie guy since way back. But uh, anyway. Well, my buddy, uh, Chris Vernon, real quick. Yeah. He, he had this, he has a, he had a radio shows in Memphis for a long time. Now he's working with him and saw him and he's got a podcast in Memphis. And at one point, a while, a while ago, he had, uh, his station wasn't, he, he, you know, you're always moving around the station. So he didn't really have a great station, but he's got the show. And uh, Dick Cheney was promoting a book, and somehow they got the email to, do you want to interview Dick Cheney? And so they respond, and he comes on the show. And then Vernon, I can't remember what the story is, but he asked him, like, some question that, like, no one had asked. Like, I don't know, whether it was, like, when he shot the guy or something about Iraq. I don't even know. But he gave this, Dick Cheney gave this, like, answer that was incredibly newsworthy at the time and then the quote got played everywhere like this interview and it's like cnn and you know new york times and everything like dick cheney on the chris vernon show in Memphis. <laughs> like, how the hell did you guys find yourself in the middle of that they're like you sold a book they'll go on it anyone will go on it. you sold a book <laughs> so yeah uh, we actually out for political ones get trump on here and yeah things gonna roll we actually got a similar break way back, maybe 2012-ish, whenever Guns N' Roses went in the Hall of Fame. Uh, totally totally outside of my realm of knowledge at the time, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame was about to ad- uh, announce their inductees for the year. Now, I was not in the know at the time this was going to happen. And uh, the bass player, Duff McKagan, from Guns N' Roses, was at the time writing a sports and music and business column for ESPN.com. And I read it one day, and I'm like, oh, this would be cool. And I had a PR contact at ESPN, and I reached out and said, hey, would he want to do this? And they said, sure. And I'm like, all right, we'll do it next Tuesday, whatever. It's all set up. And then uh, that Monday, they 
the announcement comes that they're in the Hall of Fame, and it was a, a lot of buzz because it was before they were back with Axel, and everyone's like, is Axel going to play? Is Axel going to this? Is Axel going to that? So then the next morning, like at 9 o'clock, I had that interview, and I got it up right away, and as far as I can tell, it's his first public co- it was his first public comments not about it, and I had a buddy who was in the Guns N' Roses scene, so he got it out on the message boards, and I think that episode has more downloads than all our other episodes combined. Because, like, I think it got, like, close to a million downloads in a month or something like that. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah, so, I, yeah, weird weird stuff happens on the internet and in podcasts. But, but yeah, this podcast is not nearly going to do as well. <laughs> yeah, none of them have since, so I wouldn't take it personal. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, Thanks for listening, if you're yeah, listening. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a, it's a, the, the best kept secret in sports media is what we like to say. There you go. Yeah. That's good, Carl. Uh, it's interesting because we started off, before we even were rolling tape, we were talking about the famous scene in The Wire uh, where Omar testifies against Bird for killing the working man. And one thing I noticed from reading your pieces yesterday on Yahoo and over the years is Dan Wetzel does enjoy covering a trial. A trial will get uh, Dan Wetzel, uh, will get him to the uh, to, to the scene, as they say. What is it about trials, maybe specifically, that interests you so much as a columnist? Well, um, they're newsworthy. I mean, you know, you have something significant going on, uh, often extremely controversial. I guess... Uh, Unfortunately, in sports, we have lots of trials. Uh, I've done everything from uh, murders to rapes to child molestation to Michael Vick's dogfighting ring, Deflate Gate. I don't know all different stuff, but um, there's a lot of uh, a lot of trials. There's a lot of drama in a courtroom, and you know we found there's an audience if the, if the if the trial is right, then the audience is there. Um, there's a lot of people that, you know, I work for, I work for Yahoo, and we have a very broad readership. It's not just a sports site, so um, a lot of crossover. Any, yeah, anytime yeah. you can bring in other people that are going to read, and so you know, you have something like Aaron Hernandez or Jerry Sandusky. It's massive stories and massive interest, and um, and so you cover it. You know, I don't, other people don't. I don't know. That's their decision, but we we do. And uh, there's uh, you know there's the readership, but you know, true crime and celebrity crime has always been a massive uh, interest in this country, dating back you know hundreds of years. Like the the first Aaron Hernandez trial, where people were like, "Oh, there's so much modern media about these trials," and it's like it, it, the trial took place across the street from Lizzie Borden's house. Where you know Lizzie Borden, uh, well, she was acquitted for murdering her mom and dad with the axe a hundred years before. So <laughs> this isn't a modern phenomenon. That trial gripped the nation, so everyone knows who Lizzie Borden is, or many people know who Lizzie Borden is. You know who Lizzie Borden is? Yep, yep. Yeah, everyone knows the rhyme, right? Yep. So um, yeah, and it's there, and and you know, like CNN and uh, all the uh, cable, they don't cover them anymore. It's all um, it's all politics now. So there's an audience sitting out there for this stuff. And I'm looking at your articles, and I mean, you have one, you recently did one on Tiger Woods moving on from the Masters. 220 comments. Then you have two that you put up recently about Aaron Hernandez. One has 3,800 comments. One has over a thousand. 
So yeah. that kind of speaks to the crossover. You know, I'm sitting in a room right now, and I'm, I'm from Buffalo, but I've been a Saints fan since I was seven years old. And on the big wall next to me is a giant fat head of Tracy Porter uh, just after he intercepted Peyton Manning in the Super Bowl. This is probably yep. about five seconds after I knew that my team was going to win the Super Bowl. And Tracy Porter is pointing to the end zone. Scott Shanley is behind him. And next to him is Will Smith. Yep. And I look at this pretty much every day. And I know you spent a lot of time uh, covering the Will Smith trial. And I'll admit I've kind of run from it a bit. It's been hard for me. Uh, it's so close in a way. It's not someone else's guy. It was one of our guys, one of our most important guys. Uh, someone I don't live in New Orleans, but someone I know they love there. And uh, a lot of people have spoken out since him and Joe McKnight. And uh, a lot of other people have had a lot of problems in New Orleans. What did you kind of learn from from that trial? Uh, what kind of sticks out? What are some things you can kind of tell someone who's kind of caught the arm's length away a little bit just because it's just it's been hard to look at? You know, the thing I think um, I'll always take from that trial is just how sad it was. It, 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 murder trials in particular, but almost any trial, because uh, rape or molestation cases are are no, you know, there's, there's no lack of tragedy involved. Uh, but a murder trial is, is, is kind of a beast unto itself. And um, that one was just so sad because none of it had to happen. Uh, not that they ever have to happen, but you had two guys that didn't know each other. Uh, two guys, I think I wrote a column, they, they could have been friends. Like they, they had all the same interests. They had kids that could have played football together. Um, Cardell Hayes, the, the, the killer, was, was a semi-pro football player. He used to watch Will Smith's moves and try to break them down and then, and then perform them out in the field. He was a, you know, a very good high school player in, in New Orleans. And just a million circumstances had to happen for this tragedy to go down. And it was uh, a second-degree murder. It wasn't, you know, premeditated. They, right. they, Will Smith bumped into Cardell Hayes' car. And, or Cardell, Cardell Hayes bumped, uh, what was it? No, Will Smith bumped into Cardell Hayes' car, but Will Smith had been drinking a lot. He's drunk. Right. And then he took off, and Cardell followed him, and ended up slamming into Will Smith's car by accident. And then out got Will Smith and his buddies, and, and there was going to be a fight, and everyone's screaming, and Hayes pulls a gun, and next thing you know, Will Smith's dead, and, 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 and uh, Raquel Smith is shot in the leg. This woman, poor woman, try, she was the only one really doing the right thing, telling everyone to back up and calm the hell down. And, uh, and Pierre Cardell's so right? upset, he takes the gun out and puts the puts it on the hood and just says, I'm the shooter, and waits for the cops. And, like, the tragic tragedy of this moment that just never should have happened. Car- Cardell Hayes' story is, is, is almost as sad as, as Will Smith. And uh, right. you got three kids on the Smith side without a dad, and you one on Hayes' side. And I mean, Hayes was sober. He never had a cri- You know, really, he wasn't a criminal. He'd been at a party that night where they played Pictionary. Just a kind of a laid-back guy. And the whole thing was just... I don't know. It was a very, very sad. Uh, they're all sad because the victims, you know, there's a special, special deal for, for 
families of murder victims. Um, it's profound when you get to know them. But in this one, you know, you didn't have a, a guy, a, just a clear villain like Aaron Hernandez or, or, or somebody else. You had a, a guy that you could almost put yourself in his position and say, God, that's just broke all bad. This guy was just trying to drive home on Saturday night at 9 o'clock, go home, and uh, next thing you know, his whole life changes. And so it just was a sad, sad uh, court scene last December. They just sentenced him 25. The judge only gave him 25 years. Very conflicted case. Very conflicted. Well, I, I'm not talented, unfortunately, enough to transition out of that in a smooth yeah, in a smooth upbeat. way. Yeah, I mean, upbeat podcast. Man. So we'll just we'll just move on. Uh, and I'll say I'm really interested in a guy who's a columnist at Yahoo, like you said, a broad readership, uh, who really kind of has the whole slate open to him, and. We're in a time in the sports calendar, the NHL and uh, the NBA are playing their playoffs, but that's almost a side story to the NFL draft, which is going on this week. Golf just had its first major. This time of year, only because this is when we're talking, what kind of excites you? What's, uh, what's at the top of your notebook? What, what, it, what gets the juices of Wetzel flowing at a time like this on the sports calendar? Whatever is a good story, whatever's happening, people want to read about. I mean, it's not um, that. That's the way it is at any time of year. So, but how do you identify that? Um, I mean, like how do you do it specifically? Like today, the biggest thing to me right now is like Dale Earnhardt Jr. announces retirement the morning we're talking. You know, he's going to retire at the end of the year, so he's going to have a. Um, I was going to write immediately. Now I'm going to write after probably the, he talks. We got a couple different ideas. I don't know. We, I mean, we you got a pretty good sense of what people are interested in uh, through the years. Um, we use a lot of data, a lot of metrics on what works. Um, we're not afraid to just go right, just go do what what's important and not what we planned. Or you know, I have the just don't plan. Don't worry, something's going to happen. Uh, I think you can over plan. Like we've always, um, you know, we do the Olympics. I do the Olympics, and we'll have a team at the Olympics. And one time we had a guy who tried to, we had an editor who wanted to really like, okay, on this day, this day, this day, this day. And it's like, that's not how it works. Like, you know what happens? Ryan Lochte and his buddies, like, you know, end up at a bath, at a gas station bathroom at 3 in the morning. That's what happens. Like, yeah, you got to plan ahead and go, all right, Michael Phelps is going to swim that night. But, you can't plan the stuff out. The stuff people are really interested in isn't always going to fit nicely in a in a on a calendar. So um, you just got to kind of prepare for it. I, I don't know. I'm not quite sure how we do it, but we do it. Um, and there's a lot of trial and error. Is it going to work? People going to read it? Um, and it's not always just the subject. It's what's the angle on the subject. Right, like I, I would think that the subject being the NFL draft, a guy like you is a lot more interested maybe in who picks Joe Mixon than if the Browns pick a quarterback or a Miles Garrett at first overall. Definitely. My, Joe Mixon goes in the first round Thursday. That's, um, well, I mean, we'll, we'll see. Right. I mean, if they, the, who the Browns pick or if there's like a late Garoppolo trade or something like that, more football, then yeah, if Mixon goes in the first round, yeah, that's a bigger story. Um you know, you walk in and say, what's the big story? Last year, it ended up being Jeremy Tunzel. Uh, you know, he had his gas mask. Gas mask, right. Smoking weed. Right. 
allegedly, 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 substance, possibly uh, marijuana. No, I mean, but there's a good example. Like, you know, name the top seven draft picks last year. Go ahead. But everyone remembers that gas mask. Right. You know, like, (laughs) you know, who could have predicted that was going down? And the fallout for Ole Miss in general, right? I mean, like, the stepfather implicating that. You know, Ole Miss's program is in trouble with it. But just the, the image, just. It doesn't even have to be some profound thing. It was just funny. People are like, hey, what's, what's the story with the gas mask? So, um, I, I don't know. I mean, I, 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 the, one of the best things about Yahoo and, you know, uh, my bosses, Johnny Ludden is our, is our main editor. Bob Condors is, boss, is our main boss. But Johnny Ludden a, was a longtime reporter and a great writer. Uh, covering the NBA and, uh, you know, my other editors that I work with, Jay Hart and Al Toby and Cody Brunner a lot, those three, James Blacksome, they all, it's all very, like, just do, just write the right thing, not, well, we got you on a budget to do this today uh, and try to, try to write big stories. And so, you know, sometimes the timing's weird. I mean, I was at Augusta for for three days of the Masters and then left because they were going to do closing arguments in Hernandez. Like, the timing just worked out that way. And that's not necessarily, you know, nobody else is making that trip. Um, nobody else even covered the Hernandez trial other than the Boston papers and TV. Right. But, you t- again, you just, you kind of pointed it out. Look at the numbers. You know, look at the, the story level. The, and, it, and it preps you for a bigger story, not day one of the Masters. So, as long as you kind of to have that flexibility is an incredible opportunity for me, and so you have to maximize that and do a good job with it. Well, I I actually have the word flexibility written down because when I was going through your through your columns, I mean that that's what I thought of flexibility. I mean, sure, you, like I said, you love a trial. There's a lot of trial stuff, but. I mean, you mentioned NASCAR. You wrote uh, NASCAR. There's NASCAR stories in here. There's obviously football. There's, you know, you you were at Daytona. MMA. Yeah, yeah MMA. UFC. Another great example. MMA. A lot of UFC. Johnny Manziel. UFC. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll do college and pro football, NBA, some college basketball still. Not a ton anymore. I used to do tons of college basketball. That's all I did. Um, what but I also there's things I won't do. Okay, like what? Uh, I mean, I don't cover baseball or hockey. Um, so, uh, I mean, I could, I guess, if something came up. But I, so you can't spread yourself too thin. Right. So you try to stay as much on top of things as, as it goes, you know, so at least you know something. Like I, if- mean, I, don't, I don't purport to know everything about NASCAR, but through the years I know enough about NASCAR that I've – and I've made enough trips on NASCAR and been to enough tracks that I've talked to Dale Jr. enough that when he retires, I'm ready for that, to, or something happens in his life, I can do those types of stories. You don't. But that doesn't mean I'm a NASCAR. You know, I, honestly, I don't know who won last week. Right. You you don't cover baseball, but I mean, the biggest story in 108 years, I guess, happened last year, right? Did that did that tempt you, or you, you did you want to find? That wasn't, that wasn't the biggest story in 108 years. And they won, but right. I mean, I was being hyper—I <laughs> was being hyperbolic, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, but uh... I could have gone. I, I went to um, actually did go. We did a video thing the first game. I went to Cleveland. I didn't go to the game, and we did something on Cleveland, 
And uh, I can't. I think it was really the column was about Cleveland finally getting there. Um, yeah, the Cubs thing would have been Cubs thing was cool, and Cubs thing was was big, bigger than baseball. But you know, that's that's going to happen. It's all right. Right. Um, you know, maybe not on every single story, but for the most part, uh, we have we have great baseball writers. What am I going to add to it? <laughs> and baseball is a hard sport to write columns about. Baseball is a, a you know, it's why the NFL, I think, is, is good to write about and why the NFL is so popular is, like, Tom Brady has got to deliver or they're going to lose the Super Bowl. Basketball is like that, you know? Like, that, and one of the reasons basketball is so great to write about. Like, it's game seven. Like, there's no way that LeBron James cannot – you could be the best baseball player in the world and it's game seven, you go 0 for 4 and you win the game. That can't happen in basketball. Like, LeBron James has to score 30 points tonight and has to get 18, 18 rebounds and has then has to get nine assists. And, and, if, and, and then if he still throws one turnover at the end, you know, the, the, he's the GOAT. So there's certain sports that are a little easier. It's hard to just show up and be like, well, what the heck? You didn't do anything today. It was like, so what? We play 162 games. <laughs> do you remember the last time you wrote a hockey I need column? to simplify stuff, man. I need, like, black and white. I'm not that... I don't have the nuance of Tim Brown and Jeff Passon to deal with baseball. It's like I need to, I need, I need basics. I got to keep it simple. I'm not that smart. Do you remember the last time you wrote a hockey column? I wrote a hockey column. I think um, there was a Stanley Cup. Uh, there was a Stanley Cup final in Detroit, Pittsburgh. It's right, so a 2009 ish. I think yeah, they, they played in 2009. Yeah, I think I wrote I wrote a column about Ty Domi retiring. I remember that. Not very often. Wow. I used to do more hockey. Hockey just doesn't. Hockey's hard. Doesn't have the audience. Right. Just doesn't have the national audience. It's tribal. It's great when your team's in it, but once your team loses, they stop watching. NBA, they keep watching. Right. Like, makes- people don't sit there and go, well, "I'm a Bucks fan. Why would I care about uh, LeBron versus Steph Curry in Game Seven? That doesn't happen. They're all into it. Football, you keep watching. Um, where the the uh, the hockey it dies out, so it's hard to get it's hard to get the audience. Yeah, I'm in I'm in an interesting market in the sense where, you know, during the finals, Buffalo will be the number one market, probably even better than the markets that the teams play in, unless it's Pittsburgh, and the basketball finals will be outside of the top thirty, probably. Right. You know, so I'm I'm in an interesting spot. Connor McDavid wins the Stanley Cup in his second year at the Oilers. Does that bring you to the table? Uh, there's virtually nothing that'll bring me to the <laughs> virtually table. Virtually nothing. That. <laughs> <laughs> no, sorry, I, I'm just curious. I, I'm interested. Just being honest. No, I, I mean, I covered a bunch of Stanley Cup finals. We just, I don't know. We have good people who can do hockey. It's not a one-man team. Right. No, I'm just trying to learn about you. It's our first time, so I'm just yeah, curious. I'm, no. just, I'm just curious about you. I'm sure I'll watch. I really like Edmonton. But, um... Uh, they're probably who I, I, I'm a Boston Bruins fan. I also can be a Boston Bruins fan, which I always was growing up. Um, it's the sport I'll just watch and, uh, I don't cover it. So I don't, the other sports, when you're covering it, it's just, at least for me, I, it's, it's, it's just work. Like, I don't care. Right. Uh, I'm all about whatever it's best for me. Or the story, or whatever you got, and so I know people can't get they can't can't people don't believe that or grasp it, but it's a hundred percent true with me. I mean, um, but so the, uh, 
that I, I just don't I just don't care. <laughs> the, uh, I just honestly don't care, and it's it's funny because no one believes it, but it's true. Joe Buck said the almost the exact same thing on this very show, uh, and hit the thing he keeps for himself is the Blues, the St. Louis Blues. You know, he doesn't cover that sport. Grew up in St. Louis, loves the Blues. That's kind of something where he still feels like he can be a fan. You know, the Cardinals. Yeah, I don't, I don't have to know whether the coach is a jerk or right. nice, or I don't have to know that the other guys are really cool and I really should root for that. I don't have to know anything about it. I don't even want to. I barely even read about the team. What's your relationship with Twitter? We'll just do a few more and I'll let you go. Are you are you a Twitter guy? Are you sick of Twitter? I'm in no rush. You can ask as many as you want. Okay. Um, the D- Dale Earnhardt press conference isn't for a little while. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm on Twitter. I mean, uh, you know, you send out your stories. I don't, I don't do a whole lot more than put links up but um, or retweet some people. Um, but, you know, you can build uh, – you can get some audience. It's not, not great. The click-through rates are pretty bad for the most part. But if you, you have the right story, you can do – you can get some traffic off of it. But I, I don't spend a ton of time on there uh, if you can break a little news occasionally. But I don't get paid by Twitter, so – Right. Um, I, I don't, you know, I have no problem going days without tweeting. Do you want to write uh, but another I, book? I like to look at it. I mean, it's a news, it's a news feed. That's the best thing. I mean, I follow a lot of people geographically and different, just, you know, this beat writer and that columnist or that TV radio, you know, and, and you, so if something all of a sudden flares up at like, um, you know, in different sports, like, you know, if Dale Earnhardt's going to retire, I know right away because I follow enough NASCAR people. Um, or if all of a sudden there's a big controversy in, uh, in Seattle, I follow enough people in Seattle where it's like, oh, wow. So, you know, it's a way to stay in touch with stuff. But other than that, it's kind of a, it's it's an overrated, it, It's I don't even know if it's overrated, it's probably properly rated. You know, most Twitter people kind of love and hate Twitter at the same time. That point you just made there about, you know, you cover enough NASCAR people, you find things out. It's like the things I love the most, I I, I follow so many people that that it's like, uh, oh, Jack Eichel broke his ankle in the last practice. It'll turn out to be a high ankle sprain, but like just so happens I pick up my phone one, one minute before Jack Eichel does that. And then the next thing, I'm refreshing my phone for the next three hours, you know, just hoping that there's something, right? you know, somehow this was a mistake. I'm following the 30 different, you know, Sabres beat writers, which is now has turned into 30 beat writers and 30 national writers. And right. you know, that, that Jack Eichel thing just comes to mind because I, you know, I, when I picked up my phone and the tweet one second ago was, oh, my God, Jack Eichel just fell down and the whole arena silent. Um, Twitter can figure out how to make money off of that. They'll make a lot. Right, and I, I remember the very first time when I woke up and went to Twitter and found out in Buffalo a plane had like a commercial plane had crashed in, in a suburb here, overnight. Yeah, I remember thinking like how powerful. Yeah, I remember that plane crash. Yeah, yeah, how how powerful that can be, but it just doesn't seem like like you said like they know how to monetize it. Um, it's maybe one of those things that once we get it for free, we're never gonna pay for it. But I don't know. Uh, do you want to write another book? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I like writing books. Uh, it just has to be the right topic, something you're passionate about and you got something to say about, or, or you got a lot to report about. Um, man, books are hard, so you better be into it. 
Do you have a, a lot of work? Do you have a book topic that you'd love to write, but it just wouldn't sell? Like Jeff Perlman's writing a USFL book right now, but like he kind of had to trick his way into it by packaging with his Brett Favre book, and he he took less money, but it was just a passion project. Do you have something like that that you'd love to? I bet that USFL book's actually got a little. Uh, yeah, I think you got. Little, I think you got some. Juice. I think you got some life with Trump being president and Trump's role in that. And I think. Ah, yeah, there you go. Yeah, I think that. that the Trump train, too. man. Yeah, yeah. Ah. Uh, uh, I mean, if you could just someone just gave you money and you could just go write a right. book, yeah, yeah, there's all sorts of topics I do, but I don't know how the world works. <laughs> 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 Passion projects aren't really my thing. Let's circle back real quick, just because we, we glanced over it, and like I said, the other guest on the show is, is Chris Burke, and we talked a little bit about Joe Mixon, and Joe Mixon's been a topic on this podcast for months now, and I'm an OU guy. Just because a friend from down the road when I was a kid went and played there and backed up Jason Belzer there. They're the first college football team before I even knew there was a such thing as college football. I've probably seen every game in the Bob Stoops era, and Joe Mixon is probably the second most talented offensive player they've had there in that time, and there's been a lot of good ones. Who's number one? Adrian Peterson is the most talented okay. for sure. All right, all right. Yeah. Uh, offensive. Forgot players. he was Stoops' era. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was he was special. He was a, he's a different level than Mixon. No, yeah, that was a whole different deal. Yeah. I saw him destroy Texas one day. Yeah, just yeah. a different level of individual. I kind of forgot how long ago he's been there. Peterson, I think, could have uh, maybe could have played in the NFL at eighteen. Maybe. Yeah, you know what's interesting? I think Leonard Fournette's like Peterson, and I don't know why there's not more. Exciting. I totally I don't know what, what's Leonard Fournette going to go. I haven't watched my mock draft. I've seen him as high as two and as low as eight. So okay. it All right. seems he's like he's not going to get past Carolina. And I've seen no, him. I, draft, I don't believe in drafting running backs, but that guy I would. Yeah, I think they're very similar. And I've said that for, for years, actually. Uh, just because uh, they're just they're freaks physically. Physical. Yeah, Physical, they're, yeah. yeah, genetically they're just in a different level. Uh, but Mixon is so unique because... He got in trouble like on the second day he was in Oklahoma. This happened. This was like this happened so quickly. Like, I remember the Sooners beat Alabama, right in the Sugar Bowl. A couple of days later, he commits. A couple of months later, he gets there, and a couple of days after that, he punched a girl in the face. Yeah, like it happened so quick. But to the rest of the world, if you weren't looking, it happened the day the video came out, which was you know almost three years later. And there's a question here, I guess. And the question is, I guess, two. Are you as fascinated as I am by Joe Mixon, or am I only as fascinated because I'm so close to it? Like, is this as big to someone who looks at sports in a very um, macro way? Uh, And I don't know if I want to say where you stand on it, because I don't think that's probably important, what we think. But when he does get drafted, what's the story to you? So my question to you would be, just explain to me why you're fascinated by it. Well, because I have struggled with knowing what the right and wrong in it is. I think, for one, football has, the NFL in general, and maybe maybe it's not the NFL, maybe it's all sports, have created a landscape where there's a line somewhere, but they don't want us to know where it is, or I can't figure out where it is. 
Um, and I, I don't know, I don't know what it is. So I've kind of reached a point where I've just thrown it out. Like I, I, I you mean a line of acceptable behavior, a, a line of acceptable behavior, not in society, <laughs> but like as a person that functions in the league, right? Like you can do dogs and that will get you this amount, but you know, it's it's there is no line. Yeah, there right. No they, line. There isn't one there. So I've so I haven't. If they don't have one, it's hard for me to have one. Right. Nobody cares. And they then, don't care about the line. And Nobody then, cares. And then beyond that, I don't even know. Like, if ninety percent of society thinks Joe Mixon should have been kicked out of OU and never play in the NFL, I don't even think I agree with that. But I don't know what I even think. That's why it's been so fascinating to me because. I just don't – I don't know. I have so many questions that I'm never going to be able to answer, I guess. I don't know. I'm doing a bad job explaining this. I stink. But Most of the stuff that happens in this country uh, on this type of stuff is all based on how much mob – like how much mob, – mob isn't the right words, but how much public attention – because some mob would – would condone would uh, suggest always to be right. rational. It's like ranking it the rational. outcry. How much outcry is there? Kind of right. right. Some of it would be rational. Right. Aaron Hernandez had been furloughed to some. You know, who signs him? Right. Um. Uh. But a lot of the outcry is unrealistic, right? So just it's just how much outcry is there, right? Like Bill O'Reilly had the number one radio the TV show for like twenty years on cable. And he settled, like, all these lawsuits or something. I don't even know the whole story. And then all of a sudden, he's off the air. Right. The outcry got too great. (laughs) Well, what the hell changed? You weren't mad when he did it. You were mad when people yelled about it. Now, that's a really... If you just sit in a vacuum, that is a terrible way to conduct business. Now, I'm not saying Bill O'Reilly should or shouldn't be on the, you know... But, or, or Joe Mixon should be in the league, or this. But once you're making decisions based on the whims of just people, now that doesn't mean the public can't make a decision. If your favorite team signs Joe Mixon and you just sit there and go, I can't stand this guy. I don't like guys that punch women. I mean, that's, I've, I've discussed this on other podcasts. Like, you know, at some point it, it became irrational to be like, you know, I just. Like I don't like players that I don't like people that punch women. I don't know where this comes. Like, when is, isn't it like? Did you learn that real early? Yeah, it's like, like one of the first things, things my dad that told me. Like, I don't. You punch a woman in the face, I'm gonna be like, I just really don't have any respect for you anymore, man. You know? Right. Just don't really have any respect for you. That said, what do you want him to do? Does he never work? Yep, that's where my conflict has been. So of course he should be able to play in the NFL. Right. Why shouldn't he? Well, okay, well, you can't play in the NFL, but you can work in uh, an accounting office. What about the women in the accounting office? You know, or, uh, my, my, one of the most ridiculous things ever is when they, the guy gets in trouble. So they say, Oklahoma needs to throw him out of school, which they, they, if they wanted to, that's fine. If they sat there and said, I don't want, Bob Stu said, I don't want a guy who punches women in the face around, I'm throwing you off. That's their right. I have no problem with that. But the concept of the public would be like, he needs to go to a smaller school and rehab there. Well, what about the kids at the smaller school? If he's a danger 
to the Oklahoma players, or you know, the campus. But he's not a, a you know, he's not a a threat if he goes to North Texas. Yeah, why? I, Just because those kids went to a school that doesn't have a big football stadium. So it's like it's some of it's just stupid. Like, well, you can do a smaller school. It's still a school. Oh, well, of course he should play. He can play in the NFL. He, as long as he did his legal time. Now, you have to then, as a corporation, weigh the benefits and, and negatives of whether this is, is too much. And that's what they do. They don't, there's no line, though. Right. And for all the negativity around Stoops and OU, they basically punished him exactly the same way the courts did. Now, whether or not those were right, I don't know. I just know they were basically the same thing. They both basically both had the same punishment for him. Uh, he, he, he did his time, and so he can play. I mean, I, I don't have a problem with any of these guys doing it. I personally will never have any respect for Joe Mixon, but, hey, he made a mistake. He did his thing. It is terrible, and, uh, you know, but I, what do you want him to do, never work? I don't see the difference between saying you can have a job in the NFL, but no, you can't have a job in the NFL, but you can have a job uh, doing this. Well, what's the difference? Right. I think the difference is just that the public – is they, mad they that that person right gets to, to be a in the millionaire, NFL right? It's yeah, the right to work anywhere, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's almost the same thing as why do we force people to stay in college or whatever? You know, like it's a different because yeah, they're making money off. Right, it's the same line, but it's like a different topic. I did a horrible job explaining that I stunk, but I think we got out of it what we wanted anyway. It's always been an interesting thing to me, Joe Mixon. I don't know. Um, I, the big thing with Mixon was always there was going to be video. Anytime there's video, right, it changes the dynamic of any story. You know, the guy getting hauled off the United plane became this massive thing because there's a video. Yep, and, and that and that video, right, that stuff happens all the time. And that video hung there for a long time. I mean, I thought there was no way OU was getting out of the college football playoffs without that video getting out. De- Ryan Aber, who covers the team remarkably for the Oklahoman. Well, it should have been released a long time before that. The fact that they were hiding it, I mean, it's public record. Right. I don't know that it was really had anything to do with OU, though. I don't I don't think they were the ones fighting for the No. Video. Yeah, but it was a strange, like, political should thing. Should have been released. It's public record. Uh, the sportscaster here with Dan Wetzel. He's at Dan Wetzel on Twitter, which he just told us he uses a little bit, you know, to get a link out here and there. And uh, he's at Yahoo Sports, of course. Like latest article here, um, the latest few are about the Aaron Hernandez trial. Uh, I kind of wanted to end on this because we got a lot of Buffalo listeners, and uh, you more than anyone covered the Tom Brady. You're you're like, man, if someone's writing something about Tom Brady, I want it to be you. I hope the Tom Brady memoir is written by you someday. I mean, the gamer you wrote after the Super Bowl two times ago. Brady sitting in his locker room is, and the uh, locker is probably my favorite gamer of all time. And you wrote better than anyone else about Deflate Gate, which to me was the dumbest thing. Now, here's what I need from you, Dan. So I'm in mm-hmm. Buffalo, a city, <laughs> a city that has been beaten to death by, bludgeoned oh, by Tom Brady. I mean, it's yeah. something, something. I was to, at the game last year, yeah. Yeah, it's something to two, the all-time record. It's. However many times Brady's beaten him, I think it's 16, 17 to 2. It's ugly. Uh, and they hate him. He gets higher than that, man. Right. And they, 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 hate, they hate him. It's and, like 30 to 2 or something. Yeah, what, it's, some, it's a lot to 2. It, it's, yeah. it's a nightmare that I'm glad I'm not a part of. I'm glad I 
My love for the Sabres. He's going to retire at some point. It's you know that's he's got to wait it out. Right, but this is the ex- listen, Buffalo. This is the expert on this case. Okay, this is the man who, who he read every <laughs> he read every paper. He followed oh, the columns. They're over on and over. yes, they're on Yahoo.com. Please just tell my the people people I love in the city, people my friends and family, some of them. Tell them why Tom Brady. The plate gate never happened. Yes, thank you. Tell it them. never happened. Now let me back this up. Okay, go ahead. When it started, I thought it happened. Okay, I was like, absolutely. There's a couple guys taking a little air out of the ball. Absolutely, I did not think it was merited a four million dollar investigation. It's just gamesmanship. Never thought Goodell would get so fired up over it, but I absolutely believed it. Then I start getting these emails from these professors, and they're like, nah, it didn't happen. That's not how it works. I was like, interesting, right? I'm talking to some of them, but I didn't know. All the way through the well, till the Wells report came out for four months, and this is why the NFL did it. They wanted silence. He's just buried. They're, they're leaking false information that they know to bury Brady. They are not correcting the record. They're not letting the Patriots even know the information so the Patriots can defend themselves. Like, their conduct is, that's the scandal. Everything was anti-Brady. Unbelievable. But I thought Brady did it, Brady did it, Brady did it. The Wells Report comes out. I actually read the Wells Report a couple times. Like, two-day period. I got markers. I got, like, highlighters. I'm calling these guys. What about this? What about that? The whole thing's just BS. It didn't happen. Bubkin. Then they go on, and you get the then Brady testifies in front of Goodell, and you get more information. But they the NFL tries to seal up the 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 um, the uh, testimony, and then Goodell says Brady, you know, increases the punishment on Brady, and says like Brady said this, Brady said that. And then the judge comes along and releases the transcript, and then you read Tom Brady's testimony, and he didn't say the stuff Goodell said he said. And you get into this thing, and you're like, this is, the, this is totally nuts. Like, the NFL is just inventing evidence against their star player. And you go through the science of it, and it just isn't there. The balls were not deflated. Nobody can prove the balls were deflated. And if the balls weren't deflated... Nothing happened. No deflate gate. There's been a year now. Colleges all over the country that they do the they do they perform it in the, in the class. You know, peer review. Every single scientist is on Brady's side, and the only one on 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 Goodell's side are the ones that that, that they hired. And there's one other guy who like supposedly is independent. That's it. So at some point, you just got to be like, the balls were not deflated. It didn't happen. And then, then they conduct their, we're going to test all the balls thing that season. Then they go, no, we didn't actually test them. <laughs> look, look, look. They, they re- rewrote the game protocol of a referee. The referee has to do all this stuff and then send in, in the game report, the numbers by noon on Monday. Okay, this is the, literally rewrote their, their procedure book. And then when <laughs> the numbers come in, supposedly... Dan Avogel goes, oh, no, we never collected the numbers. So every referee just decided to not follow the game. Sure they did. Like, this story is so absurd, and yet people go with it. I don't know. I I, I would say is I thought he was guilty, and then I looked at the facts. And if you want to read those reports 
and believe that thing, it's all on you. I mean, it was a delicious story that he was doing it. But and it's it even sure. crazier that he wasn't. The balls just weren't deflated. They might have wanted to do it. You know, I'm not like going to go with this. Like, well, you know, Tom Brady's such a <laughs> such a sportsman that the he Saints, would never. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not naive, man. I cover murder trials, um, <laughs> but the balls weren't deflated. What do you want to do? Well, you know, everyone doesn't believe me because they think, sorry, Buffalo. Yeah, they think I have an axe to grind because of. But when they threw the the, the little toy out in the field with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that poor guy. Got that was great good. stuff, man. I mean, it's funny. I fi- I'm not like offended. I'm not Tom Brady. So I find most of the stuff funny about it, but doesn't mean it happened. That poor guy with the toy. He's banned for life now. If did they catch him? I guess. Yeah, he's banned for life. I heard. That's a, no. Yeah, I heard that. You know what? The Bills should he should retire his damn number. They got OJ up there. Take <laughs> <laughs> OJ's name down. They should. This guy should be a hero. Yeah. Three beers at the little tree for life. Yeah, for throwing that thing. I don't get it. Uh, you people don't... If, uh, now, if I was a Bills fan, right? Okay. Yeah, you. Uh, you I would sit there and say that's great. You have all of the scientific evidence that says this didn't happen, and this is exactly what I would do. I'd say I don't care. He did it. <laughs> well, and that's what <laughs> happens. To me, it's supposed to be fun. That's what happens when it's thirty to two or whatever. I guess. Yeah, it's supposed you to be know, fun. You're supposed yeah. to hate them. You know, I hear course, they they respect them. They just hate them. They're supposed to hate them. Yeah, they don't expect respect him as much as they should, though, because of things like this they, and, and Spygate. You know, people, nobody, I'm not credible because of, uh, I'm, I got a agenda against Goodell because I forget, even forget right now what the Saints scandal was called. Bounty Gate. Bounty yeah, Gate. That, was, yeah. that was very which, similar. Which was bullshit, too. I, Jonathan Vilma has the best quote about, about it. He says, I sat with Roger Goodell, and Roger Goodell told me I had a bounty on Kurt Warner and Brett Favre in the playoffs. And I said, well, what about Peyton Manning in the Super Bowl? He said, no, I don't think you guys had a bounty on that. And I said, well, why not? <laughs> if we have a bounty on Kurt Warner and Brett Favre in the, the first two games, why, why is there no bounty on Peyton Manning in the Super Bowl? I mean, that's exactly. what Jonathan Vilma says. I wasn't in the room, but that's what Vilma exactly, says. Exactly, right? exactly. No, it's like... Okay, Barry Bonds slugged 73 home runs. He's hitting them 600 feet, and then all of a sudden they can't do it anymore, and then they say stop hitting them, right? Right. For Sammy Sosa, it's like, well, they're checking the footballs. It seems like Brady's fine. Yeah, he's, he's bounced back. <laughs> <laughs> Why was his road record just as good as his home record? And what uh, when, they, when the footballs were good in the second half of that game, the, the score was like, Thirty-five to something, right? Because I love a, a good, I love a good deflate. Uh, deflate gate was great. People uh, were like, "I'm so sick of that story." I'm like, "It's the best story." <laughs> Again, it it's, was like I'll go right down the rabbit hole. And the best part is, so when you cover, you know, these horrible stories, this it's, it's not funny. There's nothing funny about Aaron Hernandez. There's nothing funny about Jerry Sandusky. It's all awful. Right. Every single bit of it just terrible. Deflate gate was like we got impassioned stuff and all this, and it's like. At the end of the day, who cares? It's a three-ring circus. Great topic. Three-ring circus to distract people from concussions. Uh, At Dan Wetzel on Twitter, Yahoo.com, of course, for his columns. Listen, Dan, this is what I'd evaluate myself like this. First NHL game today, a little nervous out of the box. First couple shifts were shaky. feel like we settled in there later, maybe got an assist in the third. You know, not not my best game, but got to figure if you come back, you'll... 
You're going to see the skill. You'll see why he drafted me when he did. You know what I mean? Still, still better than anything he did with passing. <laughs> That's probably true. That's probably really true. Thank you so much for this. I hope we can do it again sometime. All right. Not anytime. Enjoy Thank your you heart. All right, I want to thank Dan Wetzel for being on the podcast. First timer. Don always says it's really cool. Don and I, we always say it's really cool when someone comes on for the first time. But we're kind of more excited when they come on the second time. Because we know we didn't fuck it up too bad the first time. Anyway, uh, book club book of the month, The Cubs Way. The Zen of Building the Best Team in Baseball and Breaking the Curse. So, you know, this book by Tom Verducci in a large part is about the Cubs, of course, the players, the manager, and of course, of course, Theo Epstein is a big part of this book. And it's interesting because a couple of years ago, my brother graduated from Yale, as you all know, and uh, the speaker, they don't have the speaker at the graduation, they have the speaker at class day. And the speaker was Joe Biden. He was fantastic. He was. He was really good. Really great speaker. We really enjoyed it. Everyone enjoyed it. This year was Theo Epstein. And I thought long and hard. Who would I rather have gotten to be there for? And I think I think it's still Biden. Just because Biden was the sitting vice president at the time. And I think that's really cool that we got to see Biden. But man, Theo would be great. And Theo is there uh, this year. And there's really no doubt that he's a Hall of Famer already. I'm not even really sure if he's 45 years old yet. Actually, I'm pretty sure he's probably not. Uh, but I've been reading this book. It's it's a book that only Verducci could have wrote, I think. You know, Dot and I got into this last time about, you know, just about how important sometimes the person is that writes the book. And it's the right guy that wrote this one. Real quick uh, excerpt here. On the fourth day of camp, long after everybody had gone home for the day, Madden sat on a bench at the training facility and took inventory of his new team. It was early, sure, but now he had seen for himself the kind of talent that Epstein had told him about in the Chicago system. The thin slicing of it is the young players are as good as I've heard, he said. They're that exciting. You know, a lot of times you read stuff, you hear stuff. I've not been in the National League ever, so I don't know that stuff. But when I see these guys on the field, get to talk to them in meetings, watch their work and see their skill level, I believe it's absolutely true. And that's just kind of how frightening it is if you're not a Cubs person because I think these guys are going to be in it for the long run. I mean, they're going to be they're going to be there for a while now. And they're going to be, if not winning the World Series, competing for it. Uh, and I think that's good for baseball. I don't have a problem with it. I, You know, I don't have a baseball team per se. I always just, I want the Yankees and the Red Sox and the, and the Cubs. And then a few other teams kind of in and out every year, battling the big guys. You know, I like when the A's make a run or when the Royals win one or the Astros. But I don't really want to sign up for like an Astros dynasty or anything, but I could sign up for a Cubs one. I don't know. Uh, but anyway, the Cubs way, the design of building the best team in baseball and breaking the curse. Uh, I think it's almost time to get Verducci on next week, the week after. We'll reach out and do that. Looking forward to 
having Tom Verducci, as I've said many times on the show, he's the guy that I was told by SIPR would never come on, uh, that he turns down Francesa uh, sometimes. And he does turn me down sometimes too. I'm not saying I got Verducci at my uh, beck and call or anything, but he's been on several times. Several times he said yes. All right. Speaking of a guy who's been on several times and has always been there for me, a guy who has taken over draft guru position at SI. Uh, back in the day, it was Dr. Z, and then Peter King did it for a bit, and then I think he was overjoyed uh, to pass it off to Chris Burke, who's done a great job. Uh, and Chris and I are going to talk about the draft. We're going to do 30 minutes or so on it. So we'll take a break. We'll do that. And then I'll be back to uh, give the plugs and one last thing. All right, our next guest is from East Grand Rapids, Michigan, and a graduate of the University of Michigan who just finished tirelessly helping his alma mater hire a hockey coach. He also works for SI, where he is the main man when it comes to draft news, and he's nice enough to make his 14th appearance just a few days before said draft. A warm sportscasters welcome to Chris Burke. What's up, Chris? Yeah, man, Mel Pearson's going to be, has a good hire for Michigan. Yeah. I'm pretty happy with that. Long-time <laughs> assistant, knows the program, did well at Michigan Tech. Right, is that where he was, Michigan Tech? Yeah. Yeah, somewhere like that. Yep. Yeah, so, good job, good work. I knew you were on the, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah ha- accomplished. hiring committee. It's it's not right if Michigan isn't good in hockey, so. I'm glad they let a, Rad yeah, finish out. Shaky couple of years. <laughs> yeah, I think it was, uh. It's tough to beat BU head-to-head on a guy on the development team if you can't say how long the head coach is going to be there, right? Right, yeah. I think that's been the problem the last right. four or five recruiting cycles at least. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, should be good. And maybe the Big Ten hasn't worked out as much as they'd hope, but Notre Dame goes in this year, <laughs> so we'll see. All right, anyway, um, it's draft week, finally. Man, draft season... It's longer than the regular season, it feels like, sometimes. It's close. It, it does, I mean, it's pretty <laughs> four, four four months for the regular season and about the four months for the draft season for those teams that don't make the playoffs. So, it's yeah, it, it it's pretty grueling. Give me three things you're most sure of three days away from the, the draft. Oh, man, that's a good question. Um, I think I am... Most sure that uh, Christian McCaffrey goes in the top. I'll say fifteen to hedge my bet, but I, I think gambling a little bit more top twelve. Okay. Um, Who's the team I'm you don't most, think he gets passed on? Who's twelve? Uh, the Brown, the Browns second pick. Well, you the Browns think, are twelve. I mean, I just yeah. just to put a, okay. a little bit. Gotcha. I mean, maybe, but I think like fifteen Indianapolis. I can't, even though I don't know that they are looking for a running back. I think if he's there. They absolutely take him. Gotcha. Um, let's see. Most sure that um, I think I'm most sure that Marshawn Lattimore is a top five pick at this point. Uh, even with kind of the worries a little bit about his hamstring, I think first cornerback off the board. I think Tennessee makes a ton of sense there at five. Um, man, let's see. <laughs> what else? Uh, let me think here. I think there's. 
I think I'm. I think three quarterbacks go round one, not four, not two. I think three go, and Deshaun Kaiser waits, and two of those quarterbacks go in the top twelve. So, um, probably more. Kind of put me on the spot. I wasn't prepared to be uh, answering, <laughs> laying my neck on the line. <laughs> I was just giving you a chance. I thought that was a softball, <laughs> yeah, yeah. actually. Yeah, I yeah. Think I mean, it's got to be. Uh, <laughs> I think I'll go with those for now. I mean, I was trying to think about specific, like, player-to-player. Like, I think Hassan Reddick at this point, the first half of the first-round type guy. I think uh, I think Corey Davis probably slips out of the top half of the first round, but feel pretty good with three quarterbacks in round one and two in the top 12. Uh, yeah, McCaffrey and... and uh, Whatever else I said, Mill Adamore. <laughs> when you were on in February, we spent a lot of time on Joe Mixon, so we won't today. But do you think he's more helped himself or hurt himself during the draft process? And what's the latest you think he'd be picked? I don't know that anything necessarily has changed all that much for him. I mean, I know there was the report last week, teams looking into prior incidents within a high school incident. Um, but I think, you know, if, if, uh, if teams weren't worried about the other, the Oklahoma incident, or if they had, had gotten past that, I don't know that anything further back would damage him other than that, you know, now you're looking at having more than the one thing to worry about. So, I mean, I think the stock for him is still the same place it was. I think it's day two somewhere. I think it's probably round two somewhere. I don't know that any team gambles to take him in round one, but I can't say I'd be a hundred percent shocked at that. I just think day two makes the most sense. And I think talent wise, you know, at that point teams will be willing to, to overlook some of the off field, not all teams, but at least a team or some teams will be over to look willing to overlook the off field stuff to get the running back. Yeah, I, I got to watch him a lot, especially compared to the other running backs. So it's hard for me to say, but as someone who's watched Oklahoma football pretty much every game in the Bob Stoops era, I think he's the most talented player to play there since Adrian Peterson. So, man, I would love to be the team in the 40s or 50s that picks him, just from a football point of view. And Yeah, I, I mean, it, it's interesting because I think, you know, teams at the top of – the rounds, obviously, for the most part, except for trades or, you know, teams that have had really, really good off-seasons or whatever. You know, you're talking about teams that have been bad, maybe have had a bunch of roster turnover, have changed out their coaches and GMs. And so you almost wonder if Mixon, both from the team and player perspective, would be better off landing somewhere that's a little more stable, a little more, you know, sort of uh, dug in with everything that's going on, but I think it's also hard, even early in day two, I mean, for any of those teams that are trying to rebuild and trying to get better, and you, you know, you think about their rumors of San Francisco being linked to Fournette, Jacksonville being linked to Fournette, the Jets being linked to Fournette, and McCaffrey up here now in the top ten, maybe. Right, they can't um, all have Fournette. Right, right, yeah. and uh, yeah, and if McCaffrey, assuming McCaffrey goes top fifteen, I mean, maybe Dalvin Cook's there on day two, but you know, if you're not going to take a guy in round one, and you come around in day two, and and 
arguably the most talented running back sitting there for you. I mean, I think it's it would be very difficult for some of these teams to pass. I know you know I'm a Saints fan, and man, I just think about you pick the best defensive player with that first pick. You take any offers you can for the 32nd pick, and if nothing jumps up at you, man, Mixon playing the Darren Sproles role, but he's 6'2". It's very, very attractive. You just tell him, just listen to Drew Brees. Just, you know, be accountable to him. I don't know, but if I was a fan of any team, I'd be saying the same. Like, I'd, I'd want to find a way for it to work in my head because I just think he's so talented. And, like, in the NFL, we've already forced ourselves to turn our back on a million transgressions off the field. And I can't quite understand why, you know, like, it's hard for me. The line is so blurred for me what transgressions I'm supposed to accept and not accept that I've just accepted them all, basically. Well, and I think there will be front offices that approach this in similar fashion. Um, And I think, I mean, I think the argument against him in round one is just you're worried that he's going to have other issues off the field. I mean, I think that that's, that's the main thing. But I think there's also sort of the perception of taking him in round one. And, you know, you're already going to have to deal with some PR issues uh, if you draft him at all. And, and so there will be some front offices that think the way you are. I think there will be some front offices that the clear line right now for them is, um, and this wasn't domestic violence because of the... Right, they weren't partners. You know, the, right, they were the, strangers. The incident itself, you know, the... the details of the incident but i think anything that domestic violence violence against women i mean i think that that's where the line is for a lot of teams and a lot of fans and and so it is an interest it is an interesting case study here moving forward with the nfl uh to see what exactly happens with him and and how willing uh to forgive teams and fans are because i you don't have to go that far. I mean, just look at Tyree Kill last year and right. what's happened with him. And, you know, he's, he's probably went a little – I mean, I, I don't know that he necessarily fell all that much beyond where he would have been, but there definitely weren't were teams that did not want him. Um, and he goes into Kansas City. He makes a huge impact for them. Certainly the fans, at least when the games are going on, <laughs> have embraced him. Um, so, I don't know. It's really – I think this is an unpredictable draft in general, but it's really tough to pin down Nixon because it, we can't get inside those war rooms. And it's just, there's going to be one team that says, or, this is, we want this talent, we'll deal with the rest of it. Yeah, it's really fascinating, I think, just because of how talented he is. I, I, I'm just still waiting because I know there's going to be a team that'll pick him, and the, the fan bases of the other 31 teams are going to judge them. But I'm still waiting to see a guy break into the clear. And while he's running the 60 yards into the end zone for everyone to check the number and sit on their hands if it's, you know, a guy who's been in trouble. I'm still waiting for that to happen um, because he won't, right. he won't be the first or the hundredth guy probably in the league who's been in some kind of trouble. And uh, like I said, just, my, just to make it clear, this is me talking. It's, it's a league that's put its fans in a position where you're going to have to accept transgressions, and I am not the one who's going to be able to find the line, so I, I threw it out because it's just too much of a headache, and it makes me not enjoy football. Um, 
let's move on and talk about something less controversial and uncomfortable. Uh, how big of a mistake would it be if Cleveland doesn't pick Miles Garrett number one? I mean, I think it'd be a huge mistake. Um, and some of that's just because I don't necessarily trust Mitch Trubisky. <laughs> I mean, I think if you're really in love with Mitch Trubisky and you think he's, you know, the, the, the floor for him is where Carson Wentz came in last year and the upside is that he's an all-pro guy, I mean, then I think there is an argument to be made at one. This is a franchise that hasn't had a quarterback in forever and still needs a quarterback, and they've been very open about needing a quarterback. It's not Brock Osweiler. I mean, unless that's, there's a huge upset coming. Um, so, uh, I mean, I think in that scenario, I think it's feasible to see Cleveland making that pick, but I just think Miles Garrett, just from the what we've seen already, the talent and sort of the uh, physical characteristics. I mean, he's got that freaky athleticism and build. I mean, he, he seems like he's ready to be a really, really good NFL player, maybe even a star in the NFL. You know, I don't know that he's quite up to where a guy like Jadavian Clowney was a couple of years ago, but I think in terms of this class, he's been the clear number one for a while now. And so if you're at one, it's, really hard to not take the best player available. And I think there's going to be a chance for them, whether they sit and wait at 12 or use 12 and 33, 12 and 65, whatever it is to move back up to get a quarterback. So I think they've got to take him at one. I think they have to take Garrett at one. Well, yeah, I was going to say it's a team with a lot of currency. Could you see him getting both? was going to be my next question. Yeah, I definitely could. I mean, I, the wild card in all this in the entire first round for me is San Francisco at two. Um, because they could sit and take a defensive player. They could sit and take Trubisky or Watson themselves. Uh, they could trade down to another team that wants to come up and get a quarterback. And, you know, Cleveland going from 12 to 2 would have to pay quite a premium. But, uh, you know, again, if you really want Garrett and you really want the quarterback, then you might be able to talk yourself into giving up a ton of picks to go up and, and just make sure that that part of your rebuild is covered. Um, and if they, you know, if quarterback starts to slip past, if quarterback gets past two and three, then I think you look at four and five as places where, where a team could trade up. So I think it's going to be on the table for Cleveland to get both uh, Garrett and a quarterback in the top 10, top five, a matter of whether they have that value on Trubisky or Watson, I would assume would be the call if you're in the top 10. Um, and, and I don't know. I mean, that, that's a lot of, a lot of commitment, but it, you know, I think the issue is you, if you look at how the draft might play out and you go Garrett and maybe a quarterback uh, or another impact guy at 12, but Garrett and a quarterback in that order, or do you go quarterback and then you take, you know, the eighth best defender, however it works out. And to me, I think the value is in Garrett and then sort of seeing where things fall from there. Is there a team in the top 10 you, you think is most likely to make a trade to move? Uh, the top 10? I mean, I think San Francisco wants to move, um, you know, and, and some of that hinges on how they feel about the quarterbacks themselves. But I don't think if, if they're not taking a quarterback there, I don't know that there's a number, a defensive guy that really – has them over the moon. So again, it sort of hinges on Trubisky Watson. If, if in the last couple months they've they've really 
falling in love with one of those guys, then I think they stick. But uh, I think otherwise they absolutely are a team to think about trading back. I mean, I think any of the teams up there could swing a move down. Um, San Francisco is the obvious one for me. I think Jacksonville uh, and the Jets are probably the other two um, just because I don't know. I mean, they're not in – the Jets could take a quarterback. The Jaguars, I guess, could take a quarterback. I, I think they'd probably prefer both to uh, take something else, be it an offensive player or a defensive player, and, and add a couple picks. So two, four, six are really the ones I would be keeping an eye on. How do you separate the two safeties, Adams and Hooker? They seem like, you know, like how do, what do you think the difference is there? Very, very marginal. It's going to come down to which team's in love with which guy who goes higher. Well, um, I think that they're very different safeties, and and so that presents a little bit of a challenge in, in pinning down their spots too. Because you know, uh, if you want more of the strong safety type or the guy that sort of fits the mold of what we've seen recent years from the safety position, where he's in the box and where he's playing, you know, slip, moving out into the slot on when teams spread the field and uh, covering the tight end a little bit. I mean, if you want that guy that's sort of the Swiss Army knife type safety, I think it's Adams, and I think he can play up high if you need him to. But Hooker's more the guy that's going to be in center field and going to go sideline to sideline and kind of erase the deep passing game for you. So I guess it depends on which guy you like. I think they're both probably top ten guys in this class. I like Adams. I don't. I don't really have any – hesitation in saying that I like Adams better because I think Hooker, I don't know how much help you're going to get against the run from Hooker. I don't know how physical he's going to be, and certainly those are two areas of concern uh, in the NFL. I mean, I think there's enough talent uh, and enough upside to justify him in the top 12, top 10, but to me, Adams is the guy that you can draft and drop in and sort of build a defense around, and I think he probably comes off the board first. I don't you know, we have, there hasn't been a top three safety in 26 years. Um, so I don't know that it's that high, but I don't think Adams, uh, I don't think he gets out of the top 10. Hooker probably doesn't get out of the top 10 either, but I think there's more of a chance that he slides a spot or two. I think other than Garrett and the Browns at one, the person I've seen most linked to a team is O.J. Howard and the Bills at 10. Why does that pick seem to make so much sense when people are doing mock drafts? Well, I think it makes sense for a couple of reasons. I think, one, you're talking about value there. Um, you know, because Howard, I think, from an offensive, if you want to qualify tight end as a skill position right now, and I think the, sort of the new mold of tight ends, it would qualify there. I think if you're talking about him, uh, there's a case to be made that either he or Christian McCaffrey are the safest of the skill position players this year. And McCaffrey, there's a little bit of, you know, you got to figure out exactly what to do with him. I think Howard, you know what he does really well. You know where he can get better. You know where he can help you on day one. Uh, and I think it's a team, it's, it's interesting too, because it's a team in Buffalo that needs another playmaker. So I think you could see Mike Williams there. I think you could see Corey Davis there, but... O.J. Howard's also a really good blocker, and it's a team that's built on its run game, and it's a team that's not great at right tackle. And I think O.J. Howard helps you in the run game. He helps protect your right tackle a little bit if you keep him in the block. Um, uh, so I think he's he's a guy that really 
gives them help where they need it. And then you also sort of pair them um, with our, what's already on the roster there. And, you know, you let Charles Clay then be more of a wandering tight end and, and let O.J. Howard be your inline guy. And I think it all sort of fits and, and connects that. But that said, I mean, that's still a spot, I think, uh, I think safety makes sense there. I think cornerback makes sense there. I think wide receiver and offense. I mean, that could be the first offensive tackle. If there's a surprise in the top 10 at offensive tackle, I think that's where the surprise is. So they're uh, a team that could go a number of different directions. You kind of have the same idea for the Saints that I do, but you have it flipped. My struggle is that can you justify picking a skill position player at 11 when you basically... I don't want to say gave away Brandon Cooks, but traded Brandon Cooks for less than even the Vikings got for Percy Harvin, or the uh, yeah the Vikings got for Percy Harvin a few years ago, and not pick a defensive player, right? I mean the way they justified it to me was, hey, we got to improve this defense, and I'm all on board with that, and I would I think Christian McCaffrey could be a beast in the offense, but why do we trade Brandon Cooks if we're not going to get a defensive player? Is my question, I guess. Uh, but you think? Do you think it's just so sexy for Peyton and Loomis they can't walk away from it <laughs> if McCaffrey's there? Because they are that way, it seems, if you look back. I think, them. yeah. I mean, I think that, like you said, in that offense, Christian McCaffrey would be explosive. I mean, I, I think he's a guy that people keep talking about him as that he's going to be like a change-of-pace guy or a slot receiver, and I think he's someone that is a lot, lot better than we've given him credit for as a straight-up running back. Uh, because of the vision, because of the types of cuts he can make. So he's a three-down type guy. I mean, I don't know where and tear-wise that he holds up to 20, 25 touches a game, but um, he's someone that elevates an offense. I think it was, I think it's fair to say that by the time they traded Brandon Cooks, everything wasn't exactly going well with that relationship between Saints and Cooks. Um, yeah, thanks to his agent, I say. Yeah, well, his agent sabotaged that, that relationship. <laughs> Whoever draws the blame there, I mean, I think that that was as much about the relationship as it was about what Cooks could and could not do in that offense. So I don't think you can rule out them taking an offensive player just because they traded away an offensive player. I think the other thing that's interesting is, you know, if you're looking, and I'm assuming that the spots that they would mainly want to hit are to get that second pass rusher and to get, a cornerback. Right, um, so we've seen a lot of combinations out. of like Barnett at 11 and a cornerback at 32, um, which I think makes sense. But I think what's interesting is the way this draft is set up, you know, being at 32, 42, 76, 103, you could take McCaffrey, for example, at 11 and get four potential day one starters on defense in those next four picks. Because I think that the draft is deep enough. Uh, especially at cornerback. I mean, you could go uh, McCaffrey at 11, a pass rusher at 32, and then take two or three cornerbacks in rounds two and three, and those guys could be ready to come in and start because I think that's where the depth really lies in that class. I mean, if Lattimore's off the board at 11, I think you're kind of reaching a little bit. I I don't like Conley as much as some other people do. I don't think he's a borderline top 10 guy, and I don't know that there really is another borderline top 10 cornerback in this class. Barnett, I think, makes a lot of sense, especially given their scheme. Um, 
But again, is he way better than what you might get at 32 or 42 as a pass rusher? I, I don't know that he is, depending on how the board falls. I think there's going to be some talent there. So McCaffrey's kind of a home run type pick for them, but he's a player that I think, uh, you know, NFL teams want some measure of security, especially in the first round. They want to feel really good about what they're taking and, and know that they're going to get a guy who can help them and won't be a problem, you know, on or off the field. And I think given his talent and his pedigree and what we know about him as a person, I mean, I think he's the type of player that uh, a lot of teams up there will be interested in. And I frankly don't even know that he's there at 11 for New Orleans. Sportscaster here with Chris Burke from Sports Illustrated at Chris Burke underscore SI. And, of course, his work on SI.com. He's got all kinds of mock drafts, and I like the themes this year. You know, mock drafts, if it's a quarterback, Javi, or uh, I might have made that one up, but there is definitely a bunch of different themes. Uh, let me get to my... Uh, to my <laughs> I think, yeah, we did... Uh, we've done... I mean, we sort of varied the quarterback ones. Like, what if they all go out of the top ten? What if there's a bunch of them early? And, yeah, right, a bu- bunch of different scenarios to look at. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, also, been going through the prospects as well. Uh Miles Garrett went up on the 21st, was that Friday? Um, so all kinds of great stuff. Let's end on this. Um, give me a thing or two that you think people will be talking about after the draft. Um, I mean, I think the cornerback, quarterbacks is obvious. Um, you know, just not just where those top four guys go, but where the – fifth and sixth guys slot in and who those fifth and sixth guys are, whether it's Davis Webb or um, Brad Kaya or whoever sneaks up into those spots, you know, where those guys go, which teams take them. I, I think right now you one of, one of the storylines certainly to keep an eye on is what happens with uh, the injured players, but also the guys that have had these, these, not the mixing type off field incidents, but it had like Ruben Foster, Jabril Peppers, both having the positive drug test at the combine where they land. There's a lot, a ton of these top prospects that have had injury concerns right up to, well, Garrett was hurt last year. I mean, that wasn't a long-term thing, but Jonathan Allen has had problems. Marshawn Lattimore had the hamstring hooker. I mean, I, I think injuries and there's going to be some guys that slide in this class. So I think that that's, certainly something to keep an eye on if it happens just sporadically and randomly or if it happens to a group of prospects you know all the guys that were banged up slide or foster and peppers start tumbling down the board so um those are really two things i really think though especially coming out of the first three rounds and round one in particular there's going to be a ton of of movement by these teams. I think we're going to see a lot of trades this year because the boards are going to be so different from team to team. And also because, uh, those compensatory picks are in play as, as trade chips this year. Um, and we've already seen some moves with those, those picks. So I think there's going to be a lot of trades in the first two days that, uh, shake up the board quite a bit. Thanks for making the time on draft week, Chris. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me again.
right, I want to thank Dan Wetzel and Chris Berg for being on the podcast today. Don't forget you can hear this week's podcast and all of our podcasts on our SoundCloud page, which is soundcloud.com slash sports-casters. Hang on, I got to say goodnight to my girl. Come here, Paul. Good night, baby. Love you. Anyway, this week's podcast, last week's podcast, soundcloud.com slash sports-casters. You can also find us on iTunes and Stitcher. If you can give us a rating on iTunes, that'd be cool. But I don't badger people for stuff like that. It's cool enough that you're listening. Don't forget you can find us on Twitter. At sports underscore casters at Like Sports. Also, feel free to email me anytime. I return every email. I love to love to chat with you guys. The sportscasters at gmail.com. If you want to tell me I suck, if you want to tell me something you'd like to hear on the show, I'll try to make it happen. I try my best. But if you're coming heavy with the Bill Simmons request, probably not gonna happen. Uh, the Lonely End of the Ring podcast It's NHL playoffs So we're just kind of doing them when we feel the urge And I think we're going to feel the urge Sometime tonight or tomorrow To preview round two of the playoffs Which I can't do worse than round one So I'm ready to go uh, That is soundcloud.com Slash Lonely Rink Pod At Lonely Rink Pod on Twitter And also Uh LonelyRinkPod at gmail.com for email. So with that said, one last thing. I got a list of shows that I want to watch. I want to watch The Crown still. I want to watch 13 Reasons Why. I'm hearing a lot of buzz about that. I think I want to watch it. I got to look into it if I really want to watch it. But I think I do. Uh, there's just a list of shows that I haven't gotten to yet that I want to. And one of the big reasons I don't get to them is because I'm constantly watching Sopranos and The Wire. I just finished rewatching Sopranos, and then Brett Martin was on the show. We started talking about top shows and Sopranos versus Wire. So it's like, well, I got to watch Wire now. And here I am two weeks after that, and I'm in almost to season three of The Wire. And I can't help but think, wow, I could have watched The Crown. I don't know, but I don't know. I just love The Wire and Sopranos, I guess. And uh, maybe it's silly. Um, when I was, uh, before we started rolling with Wetzel earlier today, he's like, well, well, you know, we're making small talk. I was like, yeah, you know, I just finished an episode of The Wire. He's like, oh, where are you? And I'm like, um, you know, mid-season two, and we're talking about it. And He's like, oh, you're going to love it. And I'm like, oh, man, this is like the third or fourth time I've been through it. <laughs> I think he thought I was just getting to it, but I've already been through it like three times. It's funny with The Wire, I always have a decision to make when I finish season three. Because season four is really difficult for me to watch just because I walked in those doors. I lived the life of taking care of kids in poor schools. And it's hard. It's hard to do that. For me. And season five, there's no reward there. So I sometimes I'll bail out on Wire after season three. 
not because I don't think season four is the number one season I do. It's just so real. Sometimes it can be hard for me to relive. Uh, but I'd love to hear from everyone on Twitter or email. What should I watch next? Uh, what's number one thing I have to watch? Uh, Mrs. Castor and I are just about up to date on House of Cards. We have two episodes left and we'll be ready for the next season of House of Cards. We're up to date on Orange is the New Black. Obviously, I've seen Breaking Bad, Sopranos, uh, Better Call Saul. I'm only one episode behind there. Uh, Fargo we watch. We're up to date on Fargo. Uh, what? What should I watch? And Does anyone know anything about The Crown and 13 Reasons Why? Um, if you do, maybe help me out with that too. But hope you enjoyed the show today and Don and I will be back next week. Yeah.